0: and spread through families and folks that avoided it and now they have it and uh, praise the Lord so far people have gotten sick but none uh, too overly serious as far as health is concerned and glad for that but continue praying for it that's where mom and dad are tonight mom finally caught what had uh, been the bug with dad and he's still coughing pretty badly so uh, they stayed in tonight. pray for them. I know uh, Jerry is still he's on the mend doing a lot better, but still getting a little bit better Continue praying for him and others that I've learned of though I don't know I have their permission to let you know that they've not been feeling well And so pray for one another but glad to see you here tonight. God is good God is still on the throne I was hoping that you'd come up with some slogan that we could start using with that, but apparently not And uh, you know the Bible still has the answer God's still in control. Christian, wipe that frown off your face. Put a smile in its place. Let your personality unfurl. Open up, start to sing. You're a child of the King. So look up and face the world. God has certainly been good to us. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18. And really, one of my favorite verses of Scripture in all the Bible, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, is found here, right here in 1 Kings 17 and 18. And there it tells us, we're just going to look at one verse for right now, verse number 21, though we will be looking at several different places tonight throughout this great chapter. 1 Kings 18, verse number 21, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him. Not a word. We won't, we'll, we'll praise, you can be seated in a moment. We won't get into the full context of this verse, but when you get it, it's amazing after all that these people have been through, they still couldn't make a decision they answered him not a word how long halt you between two opinions father I pray that you would bless this study father really I believe tonight by way of reminder to us for some to continue in a vibrant walk with you for others to be renewed and for all of us to seek a renewal day by day I pray for our church family we need you we need you more in this hour than we've ever needed you I thank you for a wonderful day Sunday. I thank you for the work that you're doing. But Father, may we as your people always keep our eyes upon you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I get this question occasionally. It's one I've thought over. And there are certain ones where the answer really is easy, but the uh, explanation of it is not. And here's the question. Maybe you've wondered this. Maybe you've had somebody ask you this. But how many of you know people who are skeptical of the Bible? Okay, And they say there's all these contradictions in the Bible. And then you show them the truth and they realize they had just heard there was a lot of contradictions in the Bible. Rick asked me a good question a few couple months ago. Uh, regarding the Ishmaelites and the Midianites. Remember that you told me about there. When Joseph was sold into slavery, one verse says the Ishmaelites, the next verse says the Midianites, and the verse after that says the Ishmaelites. And he said, who bought him? And uh, so we kind of did a study together through text and found out, well, Ishmaelites and Midianites are actually cousins. Uh, They come from the same lineage of Abraham And Ishmaelites uh, are seen again in the book of Judges in the same light. And apparently the Ishmaelites, and of course it says this of their grandpa Ishmael, that he'll be a wild man among his brethren. And apparently the Ishmaelites just kind of hung out with all their different cousins and were part of that, and so they were an intermixed group. But basically, you're talking about one family there when you see that. What's really interesting, just by way of an interesting question, is that was all one big family deal that happened. We forget that. Joseph and his brothers were distantly related to all those guys that bought Joseph. They all came from the same line, Abraham. Abraham and Israel, Abraham and Isaac. But there's all these different questions that come up. Here's one very common one. Think about this for a moment. Does it ever seem like, or people put it this way, is the God of the Old Testament different than the God of the New Testament? Well, we, we know that answer is no, but here's what people say. In the Old Testament, it's war, it's fighting, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. And God's killing people, and God's allowing people to be destroyed. And God's saying, eliminate all the Canaanites of the land. And then you come to the New Testament, and there are ways in which people go, he seems to be a different God. Now, we know the answer is no. We know it's the same God. But when I look at that question, and then you actually look at the Old Testament, I realize there are two sides of that question. One, it is truly a skeptic. And how many of you know this? There are people out there who don't want to know God and His Word. And so they attack it. There's that side. And then there's Christians who ask that question. I have to be very blunt with the answer. A Christian who asks that question hasn't read the Old Testament. That's just the blunt answer. Because in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a story story over and over and over of God's long-suffering, of His patience, of His kindness, of His goodness. First Kings is that way, but judgment will come. But in the New Testament, where we see it a different way, think about it this way. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Who did that? When did that happen? The New Testament. But also this. Have we ever thought about this in our current age? Who's to say that famine... Earthquakes, pestilence, floods, droughts, all aren't a result or many of them of the result or some of them the result of the judgment of God upon a nation. In fact, I would quite frankly say it most certainly very likely is in some if not many cases the result of man's wickedness and sin. But whatever the case, we are here in 1 Kings 17 and 18, and Israel in this moment is under the judging hand of God. Now, is God still today a God of love? Is he still a God of justice? Yes. Is he still a God of grace? Is God still a God of wrath? I've had people tell me, Pastor, we would love you, we would love this church if you talked about love a lot more and didn't talk about sin so much. Well, you can't understand the love of God until you understand the ugliness of sin. The nice thing is, sometimes I think I might be somewhat balanced because the very next complaint I get in is they say, Pastor, I wish you would preach blah, 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 and, and, and not show so much love. And I go, well, I must be doing okay because they're coming in kind of like that. But whatever the case here with Israel, they are under the correcting hand of God. When you see that statement in verse number 21, that they had not seen rain now in all of this time. It's been three and a half years. They've not seen rain. It's been a total drought, not a drop. And that is directly from the hand of God upon these people for their wickedness. And yet still Elijah says, If God be God, follow Him. If Baal be God, follow Him. And the people stood there. I will tell you, as far as people standing there or sitting there, in 2,500 years, things haven't changed. Preacher gets up to preach. And they sometimes answer not a word. But tonight, I really want you to think about this. Are you ready for renewal? If I were to preach here or any pulpit across America in a true Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church... If I were to say, how many of you want renewal from God in your family? You want renewal from God in your life? You want renewal from God in your relationship? You want renewal from God in your country? You want everyone go, boom. I ask another question. Are you ready for renewal? We'd sometimes like to think we are, but did you know, if you want to say revival or you say renewal, any one of those, either one of those, they don't just happen. God prepares a people, and in some cases a person, for the work that God wants to do. I wrote down some quotes about revival. This one I don't have the source for. I don't know who said it, but it's anonymous. But it's a good definition. It is God at work restoring his church to health. That's a good, good. We sometimes think revival seeing a lot of people saved. That's a result of revival. You can't revive something that doesn't vive. You have to vivify before you can revivify. That's renewed life. That's the church. That's why the New Testament say it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. If I were to just be totally blunt with you, I don't think most Christians want renewal in their life. I think they want enough to get through today. That's why the common ordinary response of Christians, and this is where... Uh, I look at it as someone, uh, people ask me how old I am, I'm 45, I turned 45 on the end of October, neither here nor there, I don't feel any different than I do when I was 40, my hair looks a little different, my boys keep asking me, dad, why is your beard so much darker than your hair, because my hair is just getting more and more blonde all the time up there, I saw someone the other day who hadn't seen me in several years and I walked up and I had a beard and I had my hair and they said, you look like Moses, and i i wasn't sure how to take that but i've been and people that know me my family they know i've always been an observer i've always observed this i've paid attention to this and sometimes i do it very introspectively and i'll say something that no one's talking about because i'm observing something over their shoulder that's kind of me and in observation i observe something as a child here's my observation there's a lot more people on Sunday morning than there are Sunday night. And usually a lot more people. Now, our church is a little different. If you bring everybody back in, it looks like Sunday night. But, uh, and then there's a lot more people Sunday night than Wednesday night. And I always had that, how come? And then I got older. And I don't ask myself the question, how come anymore? Now, I know, and I get in trouble for this and everything, and some of the statements that I make. This sweet, kind person up here. I still get in trouble with people on occasion. But I know that some people work. I utilized an example. Uh, on Sunday morning, we have, we have folks who are nurses. We've had folks in the firefighting community. We have Eddie's right down. He's back with Grow. Uh, he's in the Marine Corps, and he was on call Sunday night. Uh, he, that's his responsibility. And people, I even pointed out Katie and Mrs. Pratt in the family life class, She's a nurse. Those, those things happen. There's illness. Tonight, in the last couple uh, Wednesdays, we've had a considerable number of people out sick. That happens. It's called this time of year. The temperature drops from 80 to 50 all of a sudden. And uh, it, that change, it happens with people. And we pray that no one gets seriously ill. But the same old truth is held still. However, back when I was young, and it's getting odd for me that I can say that now, but I can say that. I would have my pastor, Pastor Jim Black at Gethsemane Baptist Church and 1695 Orange Avenue, would get up and he would preach. And he'd preach, be, be back on Wednesday, be back on Wednesday, be back on Wednesday. And as a kid, I picked up. And I'm like, I know why he's telling people to be back on Wednesday. Because not as many come back on Wednesday as are there on Sunday. And then... Uh, When I got into ministry, some of you don't know, I've been serving in ministry here since I was 19 years of age. I became the youth leader of the church when I was 19. Brother Daniel Solario was one of the first seniors that I ever had. He was 16 and turned 17 right after I started as a youth leader. I was 19 and turned 20. And I think he was one of my first graduates out of uh, the youth ministry here at the church. And so I've been in youth ministry, and I would hear men like Brother Wood, and I would hear my dad. At the end of Sunday morning, something I didn't hear as much when I was a young person I heard it about Wednesday but I heard these men now uh, in my early years in ministry on Sunday morning the service would end and one of them would say now make sure you got to be back on Sunday night be back on Sunday night be back on Sunday night why because the battle of one generation becomes a bigger battle in the next generation that's that's the way that people are parents something very important to learn grandparents something very important to learn is this, our children due to excess in the negative what we do. And that, go, that boils all the way down to church. Now, I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm preaching, and we're putting out texts, we're putting out emails, we're putting out phone calls, we're putting out everything. For what? Not just Wednesday night, not just Sunday night. Now, come to church Sunday morning, come to church Sunday morning, come to church Sunday morning, come to church Sunday morning. What is it? One generation saw another generation and began to replicate it in a bigger way. Now, and I've and I've been saying this for five to seven years as co-pastor of the pastor. The battle used to be Wednesday. The battle used to be Sunday Sunday evening. Now the battle Sunday morning, with people deciding now which shall I do? I could catch the recording of church later. Now it's quiet in here because you're the Wednesday night crowd. It's going to be really quiet tomorrow when some people are watching this service. <laughs> now, I'm your pastor, and I love you, but I'm, I'm being honest. That's the battle. Let me ask you something. Aaron's in sophomore in college, okay? When I'm going to scare some of you, when he's, when he's my age someday, wherever God uses him, I'm going to be the one that's getting ready to say, here's the mantle to whoever, Okay? That's the, that's the nature of things. Aaron's training for ministry. These others. We have others in the school considering ministry. Aaron, let me, let me ask you a question. What in the world is he going to battle? Because I'll tell you this, they're going to battle something. And what it seems to me to be is this. It's this question found right here. How long halt you between two opinions? Christian, how long are you going to halt? God at work restoring his church to health. Here's one, Gypsy Smith made this comment about personal renewal or revival. He said it is regaining the wonder of it all. Oh, that's a wonderful statement. Church isn't special anymore. Most churches nowadays, what they do is they, and they, they have meetings trying to figure out what do we do to get people to church. That's sad. Here, we don't have so many of those meetings. We have special events. You know what we do? We start assigning who's going to call so-and-so, who's going to call so-and-so, who's going to call so-and-so, because we still believe church is a special place to come together, to gather together as a church family, but I'll guarantee you there's people out there that don't. Regaining the wonder of it all. Third, Charles Finney put it this way, it is returning to your first love. Christians have given their passions, as the Israelites did, to other idols. I don't worship an idol. Anything above the place of God or taking the place of God in your life is an idol. Period. Period. And so you come to this passage here, and you have everything I've laid out, three and a half years drought by the decree of God upon a nation that is under the spell of idolatry, That is lazy in its pursuit of God. And the Lord gives them a challenge. Look at verse number 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? It's amazing. The pagan always calls the Christian or the follower of God the troublemaker. And notice, I love Elijah's reply, and he said it, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. He looked right back at him and said, I'm not the troublemaker, you are. That's boldness. Verse number 19 says, Now therefore send, and gather to me all Israel and Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel... And gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Now, let me read that verse to you again. Notice who's there. He called unto the children of Israel, called the prophets together. There's 450 prophets of Baal. There's all of these. There's a leader of the nation of Israel. And verse 21 says And Elijah came and said to all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. The question is this How long are you going to have two opinions? And how long are you going to stay there? And the question really is for us not do we want renewal individually, not even on a church wide basis. Do I long for church wide continued renewal? Absolutely. Do, do I get burdened when I go home on a Sunday and that water has not been moved in the baptistry? Absolutely. Do I get burdened when there aren't people coming down the aisle getting saved? Absolutely. Am I burdened about that church wide? Yes, but before we get all burdened about that church wide, we better start looking at ourselves and stop looking at somebody else. A place of spiritual renewal. And how long do you halt there? And it is this. Amidst all the trouble that they're in, amidst all the situation that they're in, the people, and this is the word, the people were apathetic about God knowing they were under judgment, apathetic. We go about it, and if there's food on the table, I guess we're okay, but goodness, we're in a drought. What are we going to do? Turn to God. No, we don't need to do that. There's other answers out there. I would look, and I would fast forward ahead 2,000 years, and I'm not trying to be negative. Sometimes I'm just trying to be realistic with where we are. And I would look at a culture... And I would look at a Christian world, though I can really only be concerned about this church. But I would say as on the whole, this is the word that comes to mind, apathy. I mean, this is my opinion. I'm not going to, I'm not going to delve too far into it. It's not my business to do it. It's not why God called me to preach. God didn't call me to preach politics. God didn't call me to tell you everything going on about politics. Uh, the preacher's not a politician. But I'm going to give you my opinion. I sat, and if you know me, I sat for hours last night. That I love that stuff. Win, lose, or draw. Watching the returns, flipping channels, looking on my phone. I love to do that. I was looking up the high desert results of even some of the people that were with us on Sunday. How'd they do? And some of you know that you were asking me. And I was watching that. But as I began to watch it, I said, people don't care. I all. Oh, they don't care. You know, you know, I'll give you evidence. And again, I'm just giving you my opinion. This isn't preaching. I'm just kind of making an illustration of a point of, in general. I told my family, and I, I, don't, I don't wish any ill. I think he's a good man. I told my family, I said, whoever ran for governor in the state of California against our current governor could have walked into church Sunday and I had no idea who he was. And the amazing thing is, It's just opinion. There's a chance that he'll lose by less, or I'll put it this way that the governor of Florida will win by more than the governor of California in a state where one side didn't even try because they don't have money, they don't have this, they don't have that. It's cultural apathy. That's what it is. It's cultural apathy. We, we look at our culture? man. Eh. You want another evidence of that? Name me a proposition that was on the state of California on all of your ballots yesterday. Again, I'm, not getting, I'm getting into politics. I'm going to move right into a spiritual point right now. Prop 1. Yesterday, the state of California... The people of California. And by the way, not just California, but I believe Kentucky. I believe several states did similar things. We, oh, It was the wording, it was all that. If you want to know, you'll read it. Enshrine. I'm going to move into something spiritual now where I'm, I'm, regardless political apathy, cultural apathy, I'm talking about now spiritual apathy. The state of California, by a 30% margin, likely, will enshrine end of the California state constitution, abortion, without limits. You know how many Christians I talked to that didn't even know that was on the ballot? Maybe the only time they saw it was when they were surprised. Like, what is this? Abortion, I'm against that. We, we spent more in this state we spent more in this state in fact they both went down for whatever you believe think about that on two gambling propositions in California than on life. And I will tell you, regardless of where somebody stands politically, a culture that morally decays like we are will not stand. It will implode. History is filled with the graveyards of nations that imploded morally. And all the other stuff always follows the morals. So that now, it was a no-doubter. You know why nobody spent money on that Prop 1? Everybody knew what was going to happen. Nobody even bothered. I'm, I'm just speaking plain, blunt truth. Nobody bothered. And I saw a well-known Christian after well-known Christian after well-known Christian after well-known Christian in the state of California going on to their personal Facebook. And I'm glad that they did it. I'm applauding them. Glad that they did it. And they're putting out, I urge you tomorrow. I urge you in the next week. I urge you whenever you vote, vote against this proposition. Vote against that proposition. And I'm thinking, you know something? Those men, those leaders, those well-known Christians in the state of California shouldn't even have to say a word. Christians ought to be doing everything they can not a peep. You know why? Here it is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reveal the secret. Christians gave up on California. No, oh, it's a sin hole. So is Israel. The example we look at us for tonight. And yet here's the prophet standing before them, and he's saying, How long do you hold? How long are you gonna wait? If God's God, serve him. By the way, the God who withheld the rain. Or if Baal's God, the God who can't bring the rain, serve him. They answered not a word until God did something mighty in their midst. And God used the prayer of a man and the faith of a man. There's a contest, verse 25 through 35. We know the stories of that. They call out to their God for all hours. They're cutting themselves. The people are, uh, Elijah's mocking the prophets. He literally tells them, and I'm paraphrasing this, but he says, Hey guys, maybe you need to cry a little louder to your God. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he'll take care of it when he wakes up. Maybe he's busy. It's his turn. He has water dumped all over the sacrifice. Water's running down everywhere to show this is not a trick this is not him this is only going to be of god he prays a simple prayer boom fire comes down and the faith of a man who recognizes what is needed and then you come to verse number 36 the competition is over the fire of the lord fell in verse number 41, though, says, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. There was no thunder. There was no lightning crackling through the sky. There was no raindrops that just keep falling on your head. There was nothing... In fact, apparently there was not even a cloud in the sky based on a verse we read later. But he said there's a sound of abundance of rain. Anyone around Elijah would have gone, huh? What are we talking about? He's hearing it through faith. And I'm not getting off into this mystical stuff. I'm talking about this. He knows and has faith in a great God who can do great things. And he knows that God is good on his word. He knows the promise of God. And so he calls out to God in his promise and his word in verse 42 said, So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Even Ahab believes it. Of course, if I saw fire fall from heaven, I'd probably believe it too. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees And said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. That's it. I saw clouds like that that would have pictured that today when I was driving home. I had this message on my mind. And I was driving home this afternoon. I saw little clouds like that. And I thought all he saw was one. In all that time, there had been no rain. And he said, Go up, send Ahab, prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. Not once, not twice. The Bible says seven times. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and rain and wind. And there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I will tell you what I believe when you see revival, one great definition of renewal, personal renewal, personal revival or church-wide renewal is, it is to have the hand of the Lord on a person once again. Not just acknowledging it, not just saying it, but actually truly by faith living it. The hand of the Lord. What it means is this. Elijah was completely under his sway. I would do this with my boys when they were little. They can do this with me now. They're all bigger than me. But they were about four or five years old. We'd be walking somewhere. and I'd put my hand on top of one of their heads. And I'd turn their head. And I'd start, I'd keep walking straight, and they'd start walking sideways as long as Marvin would let them, and they'd come back, and they'd crash into me, and we'd do it all over again, you know. And I'd just direct them. Why? Because at that time, I was the, the strong one, we'd have fun doing that. I wasn't trying to teach anything, do anything, we were just having fun, and we'd, I'd kind of lead him and guide him as we walked around. But it goes to show, to show something. When Elijah's under, under the hand of God, it means God has his will and way and his direction. One of the problems that I see is this. We're not under God's sway anymore. We're under our sway. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. We're no longer under His sway. We, we call the shots. We make the decision. And there are three things I see in this passage that I believe is a very real subject for us tonight by way of an ancient biblical example from the Old Testament through the life of Elijah. Why renewal waits? Because we're not ready for it. Number one, because we must pray for it. We must pray for it. We have prayer, but no real feeling, no faith. It's a formality. Elijah went up to pray the Bible says in verse 42 that he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. I want to ask us Christians, when is the last time that we really urgently for the power of God, the direction of God, the renewal of God, we cast ourselves down and all kidding aside about whether we even physically could do it or not, all of that, but we got ourselves in the position of some way, somehow, however we could, just totally submitting ourselves before God. Saying, God, I must have you. Prayer becomes a formality. We just do it. Prayer. That's, you know, the Lord, Lord bless this. Lord bless that. Lord be with this. Lord be with that. When was the last time our prayer sounded like Isaiah? Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. When is the last time we had that kind of fervency? Elijah, fervency. Isaiah, fervency. And by the way, Elijah, Isaiah, excuse me, he didn't see. A widespread revival. Read the 66 chapters of Isaiah. Learn the history of Isaiah. Any American would call Isaiah a failure at the end of his ministry. Everybody ran away from him. He would have run. If he was pastor of a church, he would have run everybody off. Because the people just continued to drift. But he knew in his life, I must have God. Faith-filled prayer. Verse number 43, look there. We read it a moment ago, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. Would you mark those words? Would you pay attention to those words? There is nothing. Elijah was in a worse spot there than we are today. There was nothing. Yesterday, I was on a conference call, a Zoom call for an upcoming event that I was invited to partake in with in that room there were 39 other missionaries, pastors leaders of independent Baptist churches who were gathered together to pray, to discuss, to talk about a certain need. And I began to look around the different names that were on there, different faces that I saw. And I began to think, you know, these, some of these men are from Texas, many from California, many from overseas in the Philippines and other places. And they have a desire. And I thought, it's not over yet. It's not done. Elijah's servant looked in the sky and said, There's nothing. Truth of the matter is, there was something. He just didn't see it yet. And that's, that's what we have today. We're, we're looking around. I don't know, I, All this Christian defeatism that I see. My soul. When, when are we going to get back to just going, you know, why don't we have some faith in God about this? Here's the very next chapter. Elijah himself decided, it's over. There's nobody left. God, I'm the only one serving you. And God said, well, there's these several thousand others over here who haven't bent the knee yet. You're not alone, Elijah. Sometimes as a church, we look out at a culture, a community. Oh, what are we going to do? What we're going to do is the same thing we've always done. We're going to find our faith in God. But we have to have an expectancy for it. Go and look seven times. Go and look, go and look, go and look, go and look. When no one else expected it, Elijah did. But I want to ask us this. And maybe in some regards, this is the kind of message some of you will come to me right now after church and go, Pastor, would you preach that on a Sunday morning? I've considered it. Because I'm going to ask us a question that I think every Christian needs to ask. What are we looking for in church? I've heard a message, never heard him preach it here in the times he's been here. But I heard Dr. David Gibbs preach a message before. And the title of the message was this, is Walmart running your church. And he said, you go to Walmart and you can get an oil change dog food, your groceries, your medicine, your paper products, you can get everything in one stop. And then we have the same expectation of church. What, what does the church do for me? What, is, what can it provide for me? What can it give me? What can it, and if we have that consumer mentality with church, it's no longer church. We say the church, and we mean the staff. It's no longer church. And I'm not saying that here it's that way, but I'll tell you what, there are people here who consider that. What, what are we looking for? Are we looking for what can be given? Or are we looking for what we can give? John Kennedy, many of you know this statement. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I remember as a boy, I learned that statement because actually I learned it on the wall of a church when I was about 12 years old. And I've always been involved in history, so I knew, I've always loved history. I knew who JFK was. And I heard that. I read that statement, and it was on the wall of a church that we were part of. And I looked at it, and it says, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. And I thought, what is that about? And one of my parents explained it to me. Well, John F. Kennedy said this, and it's a great statement. And it is a great statement for the church. I learned John Kennedy's statement through someone who put it on a wall of the church. And it did me good. But a lot of people come and go, well, what is, it? What, what, what is this going to do? What, what will this do for me? People, people come to me. Pastor, we need more nursery workers. And I just stop, pray you, therefore the Lord of the harvest, he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Lord, may the very next lady that I look at be the one that you would use. Amen. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't do that, but I think it. Oh, Pastor, love those teens. Love those teens. Oh, goodness. So thankful for those teens. You know, Pastor, it would be wonderful if we had more youth youth workers. Yeah, no. Praise the Lord, we're in a transitional phase. And those guys, I saw them working together yesterday, Mikey and Brother Ted. And Brother Ted and Cece, they are to be commended and applauded by this church. They've had the Bells. You've taught that junior high class without a helper for five years now. Week after week after week after week after week in a church this size that ought not so to be but listen folks so glad the bells are doing that you know how to show appreciation four letters help best appreciation anybody could ever show help got people teaching Sunday school I'll, I'll, be, I'll be open with the church right now Just hope. I hope you don't think I'm being negative God's doing some wonderful things but as far as help, you know what we're talking about right now how much longer before we just got to start combining some classes is that true? I've had a vision for years start more adult classes, start more adult classes we're starting some Now, first of all, I have no idea if the church is for it or not, because I make decisions and people just, I'll be open, they don't give me a holy grunt. So I just kind of go, well, I guess they're for the class. I'm just, I'm laying my heart bare to you now. But then I go, well, it took us four years to add that class. By the time I get to my end goal of adding about 15 more adult classes, how old will I be by then? That would be another 60 years plus now. Someone just added out, added, multiplied out the years. You see, what I'm really getting at for us, folks, is we, we can say it. And, I'm, and I hope that I'm not coming off as critical. I hope that I'm coming off as a pastor that's laying his heart bare to you, looking at the need of the world, and people out there going, Help! Thank you! Listen, say whatever you want to about politicians from my understanding and following some of these people these were some good people that were with us that want to do good in their community not one of them are perfect and by the way if any one of you were in their spot they still wouldn't be perfect they're human beings and you know what I sensed from a lot of them that were here thank you thank you for being a church that was willing to do something within this community thank you thank you And so I hope you don't think that I'm being overly critical or unkind or harsh. I'm just saying, listen, when, when is it, it going to be, some people need to ask this question, when is it going to be my turn to step up and to begin seeing through expectancy God can use me? And, and listen, God's not asking you to call down fire from heaven. God may be asking you to take a turn in the nursery. God may be asking you to help out. I mentioned the youth department. I can mention every class we have. There are some faithful people doing a lot. I'm I'm, I'm laying myself bare as a pastor. Maybe I shouldn't do this. I knew a couple years ago when we started services, people have asked me, Pastor, we really should have a second service, you know, back when people were more concerned. They could spread out and all that on Sunday morning. And I've told people I'd love to. I don't have enough help. Don't. I can't run the same guys ragged. And they'll do it. I'm just laying out to you folks that the burden is real. And this. Why? Why should we even be expected? Why should we even look at the opportunity? Do you know why Elijah said, go check seven times? Do you know why Elijah ran to Ahab and said, get up, get ready. It's to sound of abundance of rain. Well, God called down fire from heaven. They saw the miracle. No. Mm-mm. It's because Elijah had faith at the word of God. All the way back to the first verse, 18 verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Verse 41, 42, 43, 44 are a result of verse number one of a person who said, God said it, that settles it, therefore I'll believe it. I follow him. You see, we want to see a personal renewal. We need to live in a place of personal prayer. We need to live in a place of rejuvenated expectancy. And sometimes we do not see renewal because we do not recognize it. All that came up was a small cloud, but Elijah saw it. There's... there's, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand get up get running get down there it's going to rain what was the difference faith I've heard this phrase so often never despise the day of small things you've heard me you've heard others tell the illustration of D.L. Moody came home from a revival meeting and his wife asked him late at night honey how'd the services go and he said good had two and a half saved She looked at him and said, two and a half. He said, yeah. And she said, so you mean two adults and a child? She said, no. He said, no, honey. He said, two children and an adult. You see, that adult, praise the Lord, they're saved, but those two little children, they have their whole lives to give to God. I think sometimes we miss miss what God is really doing because we overlook the small things and we get our eyes off of what's important. We have something going on and we miss it. We, we misunderstand what the point is. We don't understand that church, is, church can be life-changing. You know why? Because we've never let it touch our lives. We miss that the Bible can move us, change us, build us, strengthen us. Why? Because we don't take the time to grow in it. Becomes a formality, something we pick up. We don't recognize the wonder of the works of God every day. We've had within this church, people get saved. And yet by the very next service, no one speaks to them. They're missed, nobody calls them. We see the greatest miracle God can perform even greater than coming, calling down fire on an altar is the eternal salvation of a soul. And we miss what God can do. Why? We're too busy. Some people have got already. It's been 8.07. We'll usually you done by 8.10. We will be. Don't worry. I'll keep us all on schedule. I'm sure that D.L. Moody and Spurgeon did that. But we will. I got kids coming out. and We'll get it done. Already more concerned about what message they might hear on Facebook or see. Got to check their phone. Got to check their phone. Got to check their phone. I got people check their phone all the time during church. Does anybody know? Can I, can I just have an honest moment? Can I, uh, do you know I see everything? Do you? Do you? Guys in the sound booth. Do you know when I know that guys are playing on their phone? I'm here, I'm looking at everybody, and I'm taller than everybody. I've been out there like, how long is that guy going to check for the score in his game? Want to walk down there and go, listen, your ESPN app is right here. Tap that. Okay, and then when it pulls up, just scroll for a second. You'll find the game, shut it off, and get back to the message. Do you think I'm kidding? I mean, I'm just like out there. The first time it ever happened to me, I got to have to sing the opener in church was invited to sing. I start singing the song, The Unclouded Day. I love that song. Phone rings. And I'm like, well, they'll shut it off. No. Hello? <laughs> they tell me of the unanswered phone. And I just look out like Sunday morning. I'm like, listen, you're not paying any attention. I wish I could. I can't. I get in trouble for that stuff. You don't get in trouble. I get in trouble for that. But we, we have people so concerned. We have people more concerned about whether someone liked their post than if God likes their life. How many likes did I get for that? I don't know. When you get to heaven, is God going to say, well done? You think I'm being a little rough tonight? I'm just, I'm just trying to get us to refocus on some things. We, are, we, we need to focus right here on God's Word. And realize something. God's not done yet. God's still at work, but we've got to hunger it. I mean, I know. Hey guys, I I know. know. By the way, let me get to nursery and ushering. You think, boy, he's going to go forever, and I'm not going forever. I'm just saying, I know there's dangers. There's dangers of guys always volunteering for the ushering, so they're not in church. They're in church, but they're not in church. And believe you me, guys, we'll do that at times. I'm not picking on anybody. I'll know who that is. And you know something? Sometimes I'll go, nope, they don't need to be used for nursery anymore. They're being used for nursery too much. Need to be in church. Need to hear the word of God. Why? I'm not picking on anybody. I'm saying this: people need to be under the sound of the Bible. They need to be under sound of the teaching of God's word. We're, we're not going to get revival through an event. The event is good. But we're not going to get revival through an event. We're not going to get revival through a program. We're not going to get revival through an activity. We're not going to get revival through a singing group coming through. I'm not against any of those things. I schedule most of them. And there's reasons why we do those kinds of things. But keep the main thing the main thing. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May soul be rekindled with fire from above. This is what we need. This is where we need to be. This is who we need to follow. If God be God, follow him. But if it be Baal, follow him. But folks, by all means, don't just stand there. Are we ready for renewal? God has a plan. God has a way. Follow him. Heavenly Father, I